Likely Heroes message series, our beginning of summer message series. And, uh, and, and Scott kind of alluded to that a little bit, but we uh, normally wear robes, and I wear robes, Pastor Caesar does, but uh, no, no robes in the summertime. We're more informal in how we dress. It gets hotter outside, as you probably noted today, and so we like to be a little bit cooler. We'll put the robes back on in the fall, so please know that if you would. And also, I, in the prayer time, uh, offertory prayer, I mentioned a couple things coming up. Uh, think about praying, if you would, for Vacation Bible Camp. begins a little over a week. That's a huge undertaking, hundreds of volunteers and kids, such a huge ministry to so many here in our area. So pray for those and that we have success in that and all the ways we want success to be, to be had. And also United Mission Week coming up in July where we go and serve our own community, uh, junior high, senior high, sponsors go out. We do need some more volunteers for, to help with uh, sponsoring and being part of that. And I've done junior high and high school both volunteering. It's really fun and, and enjoyable. It's a great uh, way to connect with kids and make a difference in our area. Did junior high last year. And here is the good thing about junior high, sponsoring junior high kids on the trip. You go home and sleep in your own bed at night. If you're in high school, you've got to stay here on the campus at night. So think about both of those and how you connect with the mission trips with these kids uh, and make a difference in our community today. Unlikely heroes. Uh, about two years ago, uh, I was preparing for a funeral. I do funerals really fairly often. feel called to serve families in that time of need in their life and feel God uses me in that way. And this is one of those times, fulfilling the call that God gave me to do this funeral for this family. It was going to be a graveside service, cemetery not very far from here. When it came time to get in my car, I was at my own home preparing to get the message together, uh, went out to get in my car, and my car would not start. And my wife, Rhonda, wasn't around. No car there. I thought, what am I going to do? I have to get to this service. This family's there, cemetery waiting for me at the graveside. It was a difficult funeral as well. Not, not that they all aren't. This was a especially difficult funeral. And then it dawned on me, I have a motorcycle. <laughs> and I'm wearing a suit and a tie and sh black shoes, all the things that go with that. And so I get my motorcycle out of my garage. And it started. Uh, put my helmet on and headed to the cemetery. Now, here's the worst part. When I get there, it dawns on me that when I drive up, the, the graveside is right by the funeral home and the parking lot. And so I basically drive up to the graveside on my big motorcycle with the loud pipes. I don't have to have loud pipes, but I chose them. I have loud pipes. And so here is the pastor with his Bible, vroom, vroom, as I get off. And so I have to explain to the family why the pastor came to this funeral on his motorcycle. My car wouldn't start. Well, here's the point. Sometime you've got to do what you've got to do. I mean, no excuses. Sometime you just have to do what you've got to do. No excuses. In many ways, Esther, who is our unlikely hero today, is exactly that. I'm not going to read the scripture text for you today. Uh, we have that in your bulletin. Read that. hope you already have. Read all of Esther. But I want to kind of tell the story of Esther and who she is and how we get to the place we are today as the unlikely hero that she, she came to be. Uh, Esther was Jewish. Her people were Jewish. But they'd been in captivity in what now was Persia. It had, before that, it, became, it had been Babylon and it became Persia. And they'd been in captivity for more than a generation from their own homeland. Slavery, captivity. You can imagine what that was like. 
Yet she had found a very unique place of having become queen of Persia, queen to King Ahasuerus. And here's how she became the queen. The previous queen did not please the king, and so he said, you're out of here. And so he got a new one, Esther, who was Jewish. So in, in a real, very meaningful way, she now had it made in the shade in her circumstances. But there also, though, was a plot being hatched by the bad guy in the Esther story, Haman. And Haman hated the Jews in Persia. He wanted them all to be dead. So he arranged to trick the king Ahasuerus, putting out an edict to allow for genocide against all the Jews. And he was about to make that happen. And so Mordecai, who knows Esther, knows Haman, uh, who's also Jewish, comes in to talk to her and says, you've got to go talk to the king. No one else can. You're the only one. You've got to do what you've got to do, Esther. No one else can do it. And her response is this. The king has not called me in to see him in more than 30 days. In other words, maybe I'm falling out of favor with the king. And also, there is a, a law, per se, if you go see the king without being called, you can be put to death. That's where the world was back then. And so that is her situation. Okay, I'm queen. I've got it made. Mordecai has told me the story. My people are going to be put to death, genocide. I am the only one who can help in this situation by going in to talk to the king. And here is her response in Esther 4.16b. And I want to put it up on the screen for you to see. If I die, I die. I'm going to go talk to the king. Now, there's some conversation between her and Mordecai. There's a time of waiting, considering. She examined the outcome possibilities. She thought of her people. She thought maybe even about saying, hey, not me. I don't have to, I'm not me. But she said, if I die, I die. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Esther and her courage. The courage that speaks to us today to face death for others. God, is she such an unlikely hero? Teach us. May we hear how you might speak to us. How we might live our lives in such a way to reflect your good news within us. And she reflected it that day thousands of, to, to, to more than 2,000 years ago. So we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, your message page has five teaching points I want to share this summer Sunday and hope it's helpful to you as it is to me. And the first one is this. Heroes, as she was, takes on the task only they can do. They realize I am in a place in my relationships that I have or where I work or where I go to church or my community or in my place in life, I am the only one who can do some things that need to be done. That's true for everybody. I don't care who we are, where we are in life, there are things that need to be done in maybe a heroic way that only you or I can do. What are those things? Who is that one that needs 
me? Where is that place that I can serve? How should I give? Where can I make a difference? We all have that in our life. Now, it took a moment like this for her to see what it was. This time where she thought, I may be able to save my, my entire people. All of them might be saved by my simple conversation with the king. She does go in. She explains what had gone on, the story about what Haman was trying to do. Uh, the king realizes he is being conned by Haman to kill people he doesn't really want to kill. And so she saves her people. And Haman, who has hatched this plot, is executed exactly where some of the Jewish people were going to be executed in their place. That's how the story goes. But she recognized, what we must recognize, what can only I, there are, we have to think like that. What can only I do? Who is a person only I can serve in a very unique way, in a very special way? Where is that place I can reach that I am the one that can interact in this place, in this community, this people, this situation that no one else can? Be surprised how many of those places we have in our lives. Our family is certainly one of those places where we uniquely can make a difference. So hear that number one. Well, secondly, and here is what Mordecai shares with her as he talks to her about how she might save her people. Who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this? For such, maybe you have been and become, by God's grace, though God's not mentioned, by God's, maybe you have been selected for this and you found your way to become queen, not because you're beautiful or smart or talented or in the right place at the right time. Maybe God has something to do with this. Maybe your blessings that you are celebrating as queen when once you were, you know, in slavery, in captivity, maybe God has a reason for where you are in your life. Maybe God has some sense that you are in your situation for a reason God has prepared you for. I think that's also always true. And so she's, she realizes that's the case. You know, maybe I'm a queen for a reason. Maybe I'm in this place for a reason. And, and so what is that reason? This has got to be it. I'm going to respond. And her words, of course, again are, if I die, I die. The third teaching point. Esther could have chosen to remain silent and risk nothing or speak up and risk everything. You know, she had everything now. Well, she's queen of Persia. I mean, you could have no higher place other than being king. So she had all the perks that you might imagine goes with that situation and that position. And so she, she, she was willing to risk everything by saying something. If she said nothing, she'd be fine. She knew if I say nothing, I'll be fine. I'll continue to be queen, continue to have the, the good meals and the great place to sleep and the great clothing and the great life. No, but nothing's going to happen to me. I'll be fine. You know, maybe everybody else will die of my people, but I'll be okay. And maybe it's not my responsibility anyway. Maybe somebody else should speak up. Somebody else should say something. But, she, you know, she could have remained silent. She chose to say something. And in that saying something, she went to a, an amazing place where a book of the Bible is named after her, a story about her life, her uniqueness, what she did and what she's about, because she's going to save her people. 
Not long after this, uh, and this is probably maybe another 10, 15, 20 years, Ezra and Nehemiah are going to lead many of these same Jews back to the promised land, back to Jerusalem, Judea, from which they had been taken captivity from, where they would rebuild the wall, rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, and rebuild the very nation from which, five centuries later, Jesus would be born, the Savior of the world that you and I celebrate today and will celebrate more clearly in communion in a moment. That's God's gift to us in that moment. Esther could have chosen to remain silent and risk nothing or speak up and risk everything. Number four, Esther was willing to risk privilege and position for her people. To risk privilege and position for her people. Do you think of yourself that way? Obviously for her it was, I'm queen, very clear. Do you think of yourself that way? Our church has made many trips to Africa. I've been many times myself. And, and uh, one of the things I discovered quickly was that in Africa, I am a person of privilege and position as an American. Uh, and you wonder, well, I'm not really that. I don't have that much money. I'm not wealthy. Well, to Africans, especially where we go in that part of Africa, I've considered that. Why? Because I can get a plane ticket there. If I can afford a plane ticket, I'm rich. I wear sunglasses. Sunglasses in the, in the hot African sun. I'm rich. I have nice tennis shoes when I walk in Africa. You know, uh, I, I'm rich, you know. I might have less pounds around my waist, you know. Nobody has that, you know. But in Africa, uh, no one does, but, you know, some of us do here because they see that as the wealth that we have. And to see ourselves as people of privilege and position is important to recognize that. Because I have the ability to do things that someone without that cannot do. They're worried about their next meal. That's the only thing they're concerned about. I've got to eat. I've got to find something to eat. They're worried about where they're going to sleep. We worry about other things, you know. Uh, and, and to realize that about ourselves helps us more clearly let God work in our life to where he might want us to use the benefits that he has blessed us with for such a time as this, as she was told by Mordecai, for how we might serve, help, bless, give, in all the ways that we're called to do that. Well, number five, Esther identified with the hurting and the helpless. I have a, if you're a guest here, you don't know that I, I have an identical twin brother uh, who is the pastor of First Methodist Church Waco. He's been there almost 18 years. I've been a little more than 18 years. I've been here 20 years, and we served the Methodist Church together for him 35 years, me 37. So we've been around a long time in doing that. And he has a grandson named Levi. Uh, I have nine grandchildren. My oldest uh, graduated from high school uh, here yesterday. Uh, his oldest grandchild, this was a year ago probably, was four years old. So little bitty boy, and uh, my brother often takes him to preschool. I occasionally take two of my grandsons to preschool as well when I need to do that and drop them off here and take them down the hallway or they take me down the hallway to do that. Uh, and, and Levi is one that he says talks all the time. And he, he wants to know about woolly mammoths. Uh, this four-year-old uh, son of his named Levi is really into woolly mammoths. And he said, so my brother said, I read up on woolly mammoths to be able to talk about woolly mammoths. And so I, I shared with him on one of our trips that woolly mammoths are not like elephants we see today. They have really long hair. 
to protect them from the cold weather and the rain that would land on them without uh, that long hair on them. And Levi very seriously begins telling him, he calls him Papa, I'm Granddad, but my brother's Papa to his grandkids. Uh, and he begins telling him, that Levi begins telling him, says, he says, Papa, Papa, I know what I want to do. He said, I saved up some money, you know, probably three or four dollars, a bunch of quarters. I said, some money, and I want to buy you something. To, I don't want you to, to, to get, have, have a cold head and, 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 a, and a wet head. And I saw this commercial on, 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 on the hair club for men. And I want to buy you some of that so you won't have a cold, wet head. Now, now Levi, of course, is four years old. He wasn't being, he was very serious. He was worried about his papa. And he thought, I saw a commercial that can help you. You know, and so this little innocent four-year-old little boy, uh, his grandson Levi, simply identified with his papa and saw, hey, Hey, I see that. I didn't see that until you told me about the woolly mammoth. Now I know, and I want to help. I want to help. As far as I know, my brother's not signed up for a hair club with men yet. Um, or his identical twin brother, who's in the same perplexing situation. But I, I want you to think with me about that story, you know. Uh, do we even do that at all? Do we consider other people's situations? We can easily say it's their fault they're in that situation. They deserve it. They made bad choices. Or I get nothing to do with that, you know. We so easily find ways to, stay, to, to fail to take responsibility for other people's concerns they might have. And, and this little four-year-old, I'll take responsibility for my papa's being bald, you know. And, and that's a, to me, that's a charming story. As it's also so important for us to see, do we know how, do we spend time, do we say, there's another commercial talking about poor people, or do we identify with those in our life, families, world we live in who need what God has already blessed us with and how we can serve in a very broad way, I know. There's lots of ways we serve, not just one way, but to hear that. To call, to serve, to give. So I want to tell a couple stories that hope will help you uh, connect with uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying today. Uh, that we have a, a, someone who served in our mission center for a long time, Wesley Mission Center, that serves our community in all kinds of ways and, and has served there. Uh, uh, started as a volunteer, uh, now is on staff there most days. Uh, and someone called me about a need they have because uh, they, know, they know how to get hold of me. Not a member of the church, never been but called me about a need that, that she had, her and her two small children. So we talked for a while, uh, and I can't break confidence and say who it was or go into great detail about it, but, but I get some general ideas of what this was about, what she needed. So I, I emailed uh, this person I know and said, uh, can you meet with them? I, I very seldom do that, uh, but I don't want to overwhelm the mission center, but I, I, I did do that, uh, and, and this person called her, Set up an appointment the next morning. She came by, and then I got a response by email from uh, the person who helped with what they did. And here's what she did. We were able to help with two utility bills, substantially so. Give re referrals for housing options. Give agency referrals for counseling of her for her and her children. 
offer resources for various recovery needs, discuss relationships with others and centering on God's Word, had prayer, uh, and then emailed you, here's what happened. An unlikely, an unlikely hero, as someone said, I'm not going to sit by, I want to be able to help, has chosen that route in her life. An unlikely hero, an Esther, who you probably see in church many Sundays, was here today. You just don't know who it is, because we don't name those people who do that kind of thing in our church. Very same week, I got another call, rapidly I want to tell this story. Don't know, that very seldom happens, by the way, that I do I get those calls. Another call, emergency someone out of state, helping their sister who is out of town, and they'd come here to rescue her from a very difficult situation. We need to go details about that and her kids, but that was happening for them. They didn't know who to call, what to do, where to go, in a hotel. They called me because I had the emergency number for our church this week. All our pastors had that once, one week. It was my turn to have that, so I had that, and they found the emergency number on the First Methodist Mansfield website and gave me a call. And so we, we connected there. Now, here's the response I got by email from that, from the caregiver in this case, the counselor in this case. Um, she, they said, this is a phenomenal family. It's the first words they said. They just needed direction for steps and resources. They had had some painful religious experiences in their childhood, but had had a positive experience as youth and with a shelter, which were both Methodist ministries. That is why they felt safe contacting a Methodist church. Another unlikely hero, an amazing hero. We went to a store, my wife and I did, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, just kind of we shopping, which means I follow her around. Is how our shopping happens. And I, and I followed her to a kitchen store, and we uh, discovered that there's a new kind of pot that cooks better uh, somehow, and so we have that new pot, and I'm getting food from that now, and so we have that. Uh, it's ceramic, by the way. It's not cast iron. It's, it's just, anyway, there's, there's, there's some reason it's really good. So we have that, uh, that pot, and the woman who sold it to us was African-American who had been working there for a period of time, and what I noticed on her wrist was that she had a goddess big enough wristband. Now, the letters were all worn off of it. There's only one little white spot left on the God is Big Enough wristband that I'm wearing today. And we passed many of these out. If you're a guest, you may not know that. We passed out hundreds of thousands of these, not millions of these. Our church and other churches through the years, in the last about four years. And so I asked her, uh, do you want to know the story about that wristband? She says, yeah, what's the story? So my twin brother uh, had cancer. He developed that shared it with me, and we shared it to both our churches, and the rest is history, and I told the story and more detail that to her. She said, well, let me tell you my story. I went to this kind of conference thing in Fort Worth. It was kind of a Christian thing, and somewhere in that conference, someone gave her that wristband. I wear it still because, and I gave her a new one that had all the letters on it to wear as well. I'll wear both, both of them. I'm not taking this one off. I wear this because this is when my life began brand new. When I put this on, my life began brand new that day, and I don't want to forget. It began because God was big enough for what I was dealing with then, and God's still big enough today. Loved her story, but somewhere, someone gave her that wristband. I don't know, I have no idea who. And someone may have given it to the person who gave it to her. I don't know that either. She doesn't remember who gave it to her. All she knows is that God touched her life then. Another 
God is big enough story. And one of these stories is not bigger than the other. They're all the same size. No matter whether we're Esther or we're simply, here's a God that's big enough for a span. As we discover uh, empathy, care, love, I can bless. God's, God's given me this, you know, all the ways we talked about in the message today. I'm going to tell you one final story. Move toward the end of our service today. Uh, many know Teresa, who leads our mission ministry. And I, I don't know if I've told this story before, but uh, I want to tell it. Uh, we, uh, we have connected with Africa in many ways in mission ministry. Million dollars plus have been given to orphans and other programs that we connect with, mostly in Rwanda and Zimbabwe, where primary work is done. And uh, we felt for a period of time, and I especially felt that God was calling us to serve in a needy place in Africa. I just felt like Africa was the place. I don't know why. Felt that sense of the need to be. We had tried a number of times and had really small things we'd done that really helped people, but they're very small. And, and Teresa came to me about a, a bigger program called Zoe Ministry, brand new at the time. Brand new, just getting kicked off. Just a feeding program at that time. Now they adopt uh, tens of thousands of orphans all over Africa. We help with that in substantial ways now. But then it was a very small program. And she'd already been uh, with Zoe to Africa once. She said, since she's been many times. I've been three times. She's been lots of times. And so we, be, we took a trip to Zimbabwe, her and I, and I think six others. I think five were women in that group. One was a doctor. Uh, and we went to uh, Zimbabwe. A long flight. We got off the plane in the, in the airport in Zimbabwe uh, at about 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. It was very, very dark, and there was nobody at the airport but us and the airport employees. A handful of them waiting for our one plane that flew in, uh, and guards standing around AK, AK-47s, and huge pictures of Mugabe, who's a dictator president of Zimbabwe, who's really destroyed Zimbabwe over the last 20 years. That's just a political thing, but that's what's happening there. Uh, and I felt like I was in a Stephen King movie. That's how all of us felt. It was really kind of not obligated not to appear anxious as the pastor of that group. So I did not appear anxious. I acted like, oh, this happens all the time. I've never been to Africa. What do I know? But I acted like, a, like that so I wouldn't create any anxiety for anybody else. Then we get on a small little bus like we have, a shuttle bus, to head out someplace with a driver who speaks no English who's waiting for us. No one else, just him. Uh, Zoe has since revised all the way they work with people on trips because of that one trip, because of how it went. And so we get, on the, we get on the bus, head out with this guy we hope is the Zoe person. We don't know because uh, he didn't speak any English. And we head out down the road into, well, deepest, darkest Africa. There's not a lot of electricity there. So when I say dark, I mean not like here. It is dark. There is no light, no lights in the highways, hardly any vehicles, just us heading out somewhere into Zimbabwe. And as we go, there's a car that keeps, as we get away from the city, keeps trying to run us off the road, probably for an hour. And he would run us off the road, and our driver would drive around the car. And somebody, people would get out of the, uh, the, the car when the bus would stop, and then he would drive around them because they weren't able to drive anymore. And we kept doing that for about an hour. And I'm trying to be perfectly calm. Oh, this, we'll be fine. He knows what he's doing. You know, here I'm thinking, I have no idea what's going on. Uh, people are getting more and more anxious about this. And so after about an hour or so, and I'm estimating the time, uh, 
the man, whoever it was, gave up and went on his way. And we continued on to a old, old farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. I'm, I'm not exaggerating anything here I'm telling you today. Uh, in the middle of nowhere. Again, no lights. We don't even know what it's like to live where there aren't any lights. You know, at nighttime with no lights from a neighboring city like we have in Dallas-Fort Worth, it is dark. And so we're out there in the middle of nowhere, and we go to this little farmhouse. People are waiting for us, a couple of people also who don't speak English, and open the door, and we, we just walk in and try to find a place to spend the night. And we're at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning at that point. And so here we are trying to find a place to stay. Again, very dark, very raggedy, really frightening place for us here in the middle of the night. And during the night, I will tell you, no one set foot on the floor. Because all night long we heard tremendously loud scurrying sounds. Uh, I don't know what it was. Uh, I assume it was rats. I don't know for sure. Could have been any kind of animal for all we know. We weren't getting up. We're staying in the bed, no feet on the floor, and pulling the covers up on the bed, you know, and, and double checking, you know, throughout the night, and nobody slept. Now, it got better the next day. Uh, but what I'm telling you is Teresa led that trip. She's gone many times since and helped lead and create a program that has transformed tens of thousands of African orphans in their life and transformed Zoe ministry that she's on the board of that now has become one of the lead transformative change in the lives of orphans uh, in Africa, multiple countries, now in India, uh, also some in uh, South America. And that's all happened about the last seven years. It's an amazing story. So I, I like telling it. I can't, I can't tell it enough. But, you know, there, that's also a, an Esther. And she saw, I'm the one. Somehow... I'm the one, and she was obedient to that in her life. Hear that story as well. We're talking about unlikely heroes. The points again. Heroes take on the task that only they can do this. And Teresa said, I'm the one. I'm the only one that can do this right now. And she said yes. Who knows whether you've not attained royalty for such a time as this. And, and, and these ladies, these women, these Esthers who work in this program I talked about earlier, they realize that they're in a place in their life, they can do this. The kids are grown, they can sit in there, they can help these other families, and they do that. Esther could have chosen to remain silent and risk nothing or speak up and risk everything. Someone just risked someone saying, no, I don't want that wristband. They said, I want to give this to you, I want you to think about that. And someone risked just being turned down or rebuffed. Or said no. Sometimes we're more scared of that than any kind of uh, thing that happened in our lives. Fourth one, Esther was willing to risk privilege and position for her people. Esther identified with the hurting and helpless. And the words that I want you to contemplate today are, if I die, I die. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence here today. And, and the words you've given us of Esther. Amazing story of her life. And her encounters and what she was able to accomplish. We pray, God, you'll teach us day by day who we are, what we've been set apart for, and how we can be unlikely heroes in the world you call us to. So thank you, God, for those heroes you sent to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.